0: Hi, I'm Kylie. I'm going to read the Bible for us this morning. So, if you want to open up to 1 Kings 18. We're going to start at verse 1 and then jump ahead a little bit in the chapter after a couple of verses. So, 1 Kings chapter 18. After a long time, in the 3rd year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And now we're just going to jump down to verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah he said to him, "Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel. Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Sorry, I think I actually need glasses. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one of them. one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. "'Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire.' So they took the bull that was given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. "'Baal, answer us,' they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. "'Shout louder,' he said. "'Surely he is a God. "'Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or travelling. "'Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened.' So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench round it large enough to hold two seers of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rainstorm came on Ahab and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel.
1: Thank you Kylie. Good morning everyone. Good to see you all. Well, have you had a friend ever say to you something like, I wish that God would give me a sign to show me that he really exists. Or I would believe if God actually showed up. I need to see, to hear, to feel, to have some proof before I commit doesn't sound unreasonable, does it? Perhaps you have felt like that. Perhaps you long for that kind of encounter to strengthen your faith even now. Well, today, as we heard in our Bible reading, we're remembering a time when God did show up. It was extraordinary, overwhelming. No one was left in any doubt on that day that God, the Lord God of the Bible, is real and is worthy of worship. Through the wonder of words and story, we are invited this morning to go back to that day in 8th century BC Israel to watch and hear what happened when God showed up. And if we're willing, we'll learn much about the God who is really there and how to respond to him. We've been working our way through the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament part of the Bible. And as we pick up the story this morning, Israel is going through dark times. Just come a, a couple of slides ahead in the... the um, there we go. There is a drought. So Israel have almost completely abandoned their belief in God, and for three years God's judged them with a drought. There is idolatry. The king Ahab and his pagan wife Jezebel, we met these two last week, they brought into Israel the worship of the Baals. They were pagan gods of fertility and prosperity. There's violence and persecution. Jezebel's been killing off God's prophets. It's like the fog has rolled in and then the night time. So now God's people can't see anything clearly and they're groping around in the dark. God hasn't left his people. Elijah, God's prophet, is there and even a foreigner was brought to faith through it all, the widow of Zarephath that we heard about last week. But Israel are in a bad way. The worship of Baal has come into the land And they've jumped on board. Baal was an attractive, well, he had an attractive reputation, put it that way. He was the storm god, the god of rain, the god who was supposed to give life to the earth and your crops and your flocks. And the way you served Baal was attractive too, especially for the men. Um, Apparently you could stir up fertility in the land by getting busy with the local shrine prostitutes. The people are double minded. So have a look again at verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. They're silent. They're sitting on the fence. They're saying, Elijah, can't we serve both Baal and Yahweh? I mean, what's the big deal? We're tolerant, we're inclusive. I mean, we get tax breaks for worshipping Baal and it's kind of fun. Can't God just chill out about this? No. The Lord will not share his glory with another. Do you remember the first commandment? I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. He will love one and hate the other. There is no room for two-timing with God. Double-mindedness is ugly in God's sight. But that doesn't mean living single-mindedly for God, will be easy. Just imagine the pressure on the people of Israel as they stood there on Mount Carmel. King Ahab is there. Who's going to say anything? Worship of Baal is the state religion. Jezebel has decimated the prophets of the Lord. The way of Baal is the wide path, the popular, easy way. Following the Lord is the narrow path the hard and lonely road and so when they're confronted they're silent friends Israel's situation is not that different from ours is it? in our community the God of the Bible is just one fading option among many spiritualities and alternatives for finding the good life tolerance And inclusion, they're the buzzwords. It's the height of rudeness to say that someone else's choice is wrong or that our God is the only way to life. So we too have a choice to make the wide, easy road of fitting in and staying silent or the narrow, difficult way. This chapter has been given to us by God to help us walk his way. It's not easy. It's not popular. We will be misunderstood and laughed at if we walk with single-minded devotion for God. But this story will help us to make that choice and to stand strong. So the first thing this story teaches us is that the Lord can protect his own. And we see this From the story of Obadiah in the first section. We didn't hear this read earlier, so let me read part of it for us. I'll pick it up from the start of the chapter again. Verse 1. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Come down to verse 7. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. So here's Obadiah. He's the um, head steward over Ahab's house. He's lived right there amongst the, the lust and the treachery, the greed of Ahab's palace. Yet he has kept his faith. and He hasn't bowed the knee to Baal. As the story continues, we hear that he's terrified of Ahab. But in the jaws of death, as it were, God has protected Obadiah. And through faithful Obadiah, God has protected a hundred of his prophets. Obadiah's hidden them away in a couple of caves and managed to keep them alive. He's the Oscar Schindler of ancient Israel. That would not have been easy, getting food and water for a hundred people in the middle of a drought. The Lord can protect his own, even surrounded by the most hostile and wicked opposition. God doesn't always rescue his own from death. There were many of the Lord's prophets that Jezebel did manage to kill. But it's no problem for God if that's what he wants to do. So what's the message for us? This ought to be a great comfort to us. Do you have a hostile family? Are your parents or your children giving you grief because you are a Christian? Are you in a hostile environment at work or at school or TAFE? Are you concerned that if you stand up and stand out for God, you're going to lose your friends, be discriminated against, maybe even get sacked? The Lord can protect his own. There is no one, not Jezebel, not the devil himself, can lay a finger on you unless the Lord allows it. And if you suffer for being a Christian, the Lord has his good purposes in that too. Either way, we don't need to be afraid, only to be faithful in the situation that God has placed us in. And be on the lookout for other Christians who might be struggling in that same situation hostile environment that you're in. Obadiah, because of his position, was able to do great good. You and I might not have the joy of sheltering a 100 believers, but an encouraging word, an offer of prayer, sharing together the struggles, you might really be able to help another believer stand firm. The Lord can protect his own. So don't be afraid to live single-mindedly for God. The second thing this story teaches us is that the Lord alone is God. What a great story, eh? This confrontation between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Here is where it all takes place. The map will come up on the screen there. Uh, Mount Carmel right up in the north of Israel. From there, they could see Sidon up to the north. It's almost Baal's home turf. Elijah lays down the gauntlet. He proposes a contest, a showdown between Yahweh and Baal. And it's a little drama, an anticipation of that great battle when God will intervene in history once and for all and wipe out all opposition for good. There's two bulls, one each chopped up, laid on a pile of wood. Verse 24 Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, What you say is good. Notice that the contest is set up in a way that offers Baal every advantage. So it's on Mount Carmel, Baal's home ground. It was a lightning challenge. Baal was the storm god, so this was right up his alley. Baal had 450 prophets compared to one for the Lord. There were no excuses if Baal failed to come through here. The Baal worshippers go first. Verse 26. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Or busy. Or travelling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. This is natural religion. This is the stuff of ABC religious programs. This is what people love to watch. It's fascinating. The colour, the dancing, the music, the mutilation. And it's so sad. All that blood, energy, music, dance, awesome worship. And what happened? Nothing because there was no one to hear them. Baal is not just an inferior god, he is an imaginary god. He doesn't really exist. This scene captures perfectly how every false religion works. People are trying to do the right things, the right dance moves. Or fervent prayer. Or something that costs them big time. Trying to persuade their God to do something for them. To forgive them or bless them. And it's all a sad waste of time and effort. Did you notice Elijah mocking them? Now I need to be careful here. But there is a place for mocking What is actually ridiculous. The prophets often point out how stupid idolatry is. It is very stupid. It doesn't make sense to put your trust in something that cannot save or even speak. It is madness to invest your life in something that is a lie. We wouldn't do that, would we? Would we? Yes, yes we would, and we do. The idols we wrestle with are different, but they are just as sad and empty and cruel. There are many, here's just a few. Money, possessions. They make us feel secure until a hailstorm rolls over, or the stock market collapses. Chasing the thrill of the next experience. Something that makes me feel good. And it's a buzz. that only leaves us wanting more. Earning the respect of other people. Because of the way I look. or My hard work. Or my winning personality. But... You can't impress everyone all of the time. People can be so fickle and unforgiving. Having the right to rule myself, to express my authentic self, to make my choices. <laughs> but we are not God. To be human is to be corrupt and passing away like a wildflower. All of these are here today, gone tomorrow. Not one can save us from the grave or add one hour to our lives. We're not always aware of the idols in our life and we can get a bit grumpy when other people poke our idols. So let me urge you to engage in some quiet self-reflection. Find a safe place. Ask God to shine his spirit into your life and reveal the things that are competing with him for your affection. And then poke some fun. Here's one example for me. Hey Darren, why do you get so invested in that new technology purchase? Wow, so much more organised. Not Oh, can you feel the sound like they promised? Mm, Not really. You know you're going to be just as disabled. Ooh, low blow. (laughs) Low blow. Try it yourself sometime. In verse 30, it's Elijah's turn. He calls all the people near and they come. They're ready to engage now. He repairs the altar, 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. It's highly symbolic. He's unifying the divided kingdom. He's rebuilding the people of God. He arranges the wood, lays the sacrifice, and then they douse everything with water. Not petrol, water. Four jars, three times over. There's the number 12 again. And symbolically, the people's contribution only makes everything worse. And then Elijah prays. There's no ranting or raving, no sacred music or restrained keyboard sounds. He prays a simple prayer, a prayer that recalls God's promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, a prayer for the people to know this promise-making promise-keeping God. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Wow true power unleashed. Not because the prayer was anything special, but because the God who answers prayer is powerful. God answers with fire from heaven. It consumed the sacrifice and everything to do with the altar and no further. What Ahab and the people of Israel deserved was for God's fire to consume them. But this is the fire of mercy. It's saying to everyone, the offering is accepted. The people's sin is atoned for. They are forgiven. The time of God's judgment is finished for now. After this, the rain will come. This is the fire of mercy. The true God upends the pattern of natural human religion. The Lord takes the initiative. He sends his prophet. He calls the people to him. He turns back their hearts. He provides the sacrifice to turn aside his own just wrath. This is grace. It is undeserved, overwhelming, and so good. Almost 900 years later... Another Elijah confronted God's people. Jesus tells us that John the Baptist is the New Testament Elijah. And here is John's message Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. To the double minded in his generation, John said, Turn back to God before God himself shows up and calls you to account. And then Jesus stepped onto the scene. When God showed up in the New Testament, there were no flames from heaven. It was much more profound. God himself stepped down from heaven, took on flesh to be the sacrifice for sin. John pointed at Jesus and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. In the death of Jesus, in his sacrifice, our sin is atoned for, our forgiveness is won. We are reconciled back to God. And the extraordinary sign for us that this was all God's plan is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus on the third day. So the call of the gospel comes to each one of us today. Jesus is Lord. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So turn back to God now. We cannot serve both God and money. Only one can be our true refuge. Money demands that we take and enlarge our own kingdom. God wants us to give and to invest in growing Jesus' kingdom. We cannot please the audience of one, our Heavenly Father, and the audience of family and friends at the same time. Being a people pleaser means flexing to fit in, and not talking about anything too deep. God calls us to holiness and integrity and speaking the truth in love. We cannot be true to ourselves and true to God because you are not your own. You were bought at a price. At the cost of Jesus' blood... You were purchased for God. It's a very uncomfortable place to be trying to serve two masters. Like a person with one foot on the boat and one foot on the jetty. You can't keep that up for any length of time safely. (laughs) If you try, you're going to end up in the drink. It's tiring. Life is full of contradictions and conflict, trying to serve more than one God. And God will not stand for it. Whatever it is, let it go. We must not waver between two opinions. If the Lord is God, as he clearly is, follow him. Thirdly, this chapter teaches us that in the end, the Lord will judge his enemies and bless his people. Have a look at verse 40. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. We are talking about children's Bibles earlier. I had a look at the uh, children's Bibles on our shelf at home this week. Most of them left this bit out. <laughs> Makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Elijah, the great man of God, cutting down the prophets of Baal. How do we explain this to our kids? Well, Elijah did this because he is God's man and he has a passion for God burning inside him. Elijah is carrying out the commands of Deuteronomy 13 and purging the evil from within God's people. Um, He says earlier in his prayer, I have done all these things at your command. Here's another lesson of just how seriously God takes our stance towards him. Um, God is very patient and kind and merciful, but one day his judgment will fall. In the end, the Lord will destroy his enemies. And this story is God's kindness to us because it gives us a clear and graphic picture of what will happen in the end, before the end comes for us. So we need to take warning and comfort too because the flip side of that great day is that blessing comes for God's people. See in verse 41, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. It's time to celebrate because the abundant blessing of God is about to be poured out on the land. Friends, we look forward to even greater blessings than the end of a drought, um, a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness, the wedding supper of the Lamb, where we'll celebrate Jesus' triumph forever. But being clear about the reality of Judgment Day is a great motivation to live single-mindedly for God. So we've heard and thought about one amazing day when God showed up. Heavenly fire lit up the darkness in Israel. The fog was rolled back and the people could see clearly again the Lord, he is God. He's alive and powerful and merciful and more. The Lord alone is God. And we who live almost 3,000 years later have seen these things even more clearly because God showed up in the person of Jesus. God's light of truth and hope have come flooding into our darkness so that we can see clearly. I know it feels like life today is busy and complicated and there are so many options and choices to make and in a way that's true. But right down, deep down, there are only two options and the choice seems pretty obvious, at least to me. On one side, we have the worship of false gods demanding everything from us and giving back nothing. Cruel, empty, sad, a dead end. On the other side stands the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, rich in mercy, overflowing with faithful love, patient, pleading with us to turn back now, jealous for our single-minded affection, giving life now and for eternity to all who will come. Friends, there's no comparison. Choose the Lord. Choose life. What will it look like to pursue that single-minded affection for the Lord? It's a great question. It's a big question that I won't answer in detail now. It involves all of life, and learning to listen to God in His Word and to depend on Him in prayer and meet with His people. It's great. For now, let me urge you to make that heart commitment to put God first every day for as long as we live. He deserves that from us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for revealing your majesty and your mercy in the history of your people and especially in the Lord Jesus. Please enable us to see you more and more clearly each day. We praise you for the price that you paid, the shed blood of your own dear son to make us your own. Please forgive us, for flirting with false gods. Please free us from all double-mindedness. Purify us to be your very own, eager to do what is good. Bind us to yourself and make us new. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.